The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. The late Timothy Leary said, Extraterrestrial intelligence could have sent out DNA seed packets through space to plant life on hospitable planets such as Earth. Tonight, we explore evidence for the theory of directed panspermia, that life on Earth and the landscape of Earth itself was engineered by extraterrestrials. Could Earth have been terraformed through a sophisticated geoengineering program? Also, how the extraterrestrial agency behind the origin of civilization is still working behind the scenes today. This advanced ET civilization is not an alien race in the way we normally think of quote-unquote aliens. They are our ancestors, and as humans as we are. Greetings, I'm your host, Mal Fabregas at Veritas Radio. And to listen to tonight's full interview and all our material, past, present, and future, all you have to do is subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. And to tell us more, tonight's special guest is Will Hart, a writer and photojournalist who has been investigating UFOs and history's mysteries since 1968. He has appeared on many TV shows and many international magazines. He is the author of The Genesis Race. His latest book is titled Ancient Alien Ancestors, Advanced Technologies That Terraformed Our World. Will Hart joins us directly from northern Mexico. Hello, Will, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Well, thank you, Mel. Uh, I'm happy to be on here with you, and we're going to have a good uh, show here. Yeah, first of all, you just came back from Japan, and before we began, you said that before we dive into your work, did you have any discoveries while in Japan? Well, yes, I did. Uh, Japan is kind of closed mouth about uh, a lot of their artifacts, and that's one of the reasons I went, because they have some astounding very strange artifacts, unlike any others in the world. And I'm talking about one called Ishino Hoden, which basically means stone, or they also call it uh, uh, the flying stone, because it's above. A, it's a 500-ton block. It's a solid monolithic block of stone, and, but it sits above. It looks like it's floating above water. There's a pond below it, and Nobody knows who created it. Uh, archaeologists have no idea. There's no record of it. Uh, it's just an astonishing uh, artifact, inexplicable as to how it could be moved, how it could have been carved. Uh, it's not a tomb. There's no uh, hollow interior. It's solid, like I said. I saw the That's image, what? Will. I saw the image. What's uh, the illusion? As you said, it looks like if it's floating, but what's keeping it the way it is. Well, there's actually a neck. You know, they cut the bottom, right? And there's a there's a neck that's that's connected below it, but you can't see that, and so it, it does give the impression that it's it's floating. Uh, to me, you know, the the strange and you run into this a lot with different sites, especially these uh, rock cut sites, whether they're caves or something like this. Uh, there's no waste rock anywhere. And you're, you're looking at tons and tons of rock, but it's not found anywhere. There's no piled up rock. Uh, and that was, that was one site. It's fairly near Nara, which is the old capital of Japan. 
and there's a lot of Kofun. And I went mainly to see the Kofun, but happened to get more information about that particular site there. Um, and I like the sites where we're not like everybody's bogged down in Egypt. Uh, Egypt's kind of old hat because Egyptologists control it. Uh, the Egyptian government controls the site. Who has access? Who doesn't? If you step out of line, they will, you know, they will just cut your permit, your license to do anything. It's very political. Uh, there's there's many other sites around the world that are equally interesting. And I think more so because you can actually go and and there aren't these politically oriented archaeologists and historians who stick to their guns. Um, Japanese government and archaeologists do not make any claims about it at all, that that they know who did it or how it was done or anything. And that puts us on on an equal footing. Now, when it comes to Japan, I'm always curious. I know a lot of people there are very curious about the UFO phenomena. What's your impression? And then we'll talk about Mexico, too, since you're there, too. How do you compare the, not the ufologists, but the people who are interested in the subject? How do you compare the Japanese, uh, Asians in particular, to the ones here in the United States and maybe even Europe? I I think the uh, Asian people in general, and that's a huge statement, uh, are more open-minded, they just they just kind of stick it. It's not like they you know just accept it, but they they're open minded about listening to it. They don't ridicule and dismiss it out of hand like people a lot of people do in the West. Um, in fact, uh, most of the people I was with there were professors at different universities, and and one of them told me took me aside. I'd read, read part of my book and said I was very interested in this part on UFOs because I had my own sighting years ago, and he explained a bit about what happened. And uh, Matt told me that, and he's a he's a history professor. Um, people are just have an open mind, and I think the same is is true in China as well. Um, really, America is the most locked up, has has a mental lock on it uh, on some of these subjects, especially UFOs. Um, you know that Mexico doesn't. Mexico is pretty open about it. Yeah, but in, in, yeah, in let's let's stay with Asia for a moment here. Because I'm interested in the in the way the government deals with these topics. We sure. know how the United States deals with the topics. They just ridicule. They just, once in a while, they plant a seed that goes nowhere. And as you said, you know, Mexico, I remember I wrote a letter once. You remember the sighting from the Mexican Air Force with the, in the Bay of Campeche. I actually wrote exactly. a letter to the Secretary of Defense, and I was scheduled to have an interview with the deputy. Secretary of Defense back in 2008, I believe it was, and right. it was a brigadier general. And an hour before the interview, they abruptly canceled. But he wrote me a letter stating that they could not confirm or deny what it was, which was okay. very intriguing to me. But in, in Japan, how do, you, how do you find the government? What's the reception when it comes to these topics? I Well... In general, let me explain the kind of use the Kofun as an example. Uh, the Kofun, the Kiho Kofun are these huge sites and the strangest, I think it's a huge anomaly in this whole field. Some of these sites are more than twice as big as the Great Pyramid base. I mean, they're absolutely huge. Uh, they go on, you know, the site will go on for uh, more than a quarter of a mile. 
and it's a keyhole shape, and it goes up maybe 50 to 100 feet vertically. Um, and inside, there'll be a tomb, or what they call a tomb. Now, here's the interesting thing about it. Very few people in the world know about these things, and there are 150,000 of them throughout Japan. That's astonishing. Now, what are they? Can you describe them? Yeah, it's a keyhole shape. Um, I, I post them a lot on my uh, on my Facebook page. I just envision a keyhole shape on the, you know, a round top and then uh, a flared out um, trapezoid below it, right? Just a keyhole shape. Only it'll, it rises up vertically, maybe a 50 to 100 feet up in the air. It's, it's a very large complex and surrounding it will be a moat and the moat can be anywhere from 20 or 30 feet wide to 50 or 60 feet wide the largest ones now here's the fascinating part about it the royal family owns the keyhole kofun nobody can get in them including archaeologists that's how tight-lipped japan is on some of these mysteries that they feel belong to their country UFOs is a different matter, but this Kofun is what intrigued me because well, I just studied them and I, I kept looking. Why don't alternative uh, historians and archaeologists, so-called, why aren't they looking into this? It's very little known. By the way, this is new to me, and I thought that I had researched a lot. This is new to me. I'm looking at Google Images, and I just typed Keyhole Kofun Japan, and what? I, geez, what is the purpose of these things? Well, they claim that they were tombs, and you know how that goes. Um, they have very little real information. The problem with Japan's history is it goes back about 2,000, a little less than 2,000 years. There were no records at all before then, no writing, nothing. And the records are even then are sketchy. And they, you know, Japanese archaeologists and historians attributed the Kofun to their ancestors who were there in Japan, but it looks that looks a little questionable because they're so tight about the security. Uh, they don't let any archaeologists try to get have tried for many years to get into them and they can't, they opened up a few and that's all. Um, so that's, that's why I went and what I was really digging into. But what surprised me is when I got there and I had a guide and, and we started off for the one I wanted to see Every couple of minutes, he was pointing another one out. We were just driving through the countryside, and he's going, well, there's one there, and it's, it's overgrown. You can see it there. And then another one, and another one, and another one. It's just astounding that people don't know about these things. And Japan's done a very good job in keeping the lid on it. Oh, well, they don't very promote good job. Them. Very good you job, because I, no, I had no idea until you just mentioned this a minute ago. And I'm looking at some of them. Some of them seem to be buried. They almost look like semi, you know, almost like a pyramid. But some of them are like separated with a water around it, like a lake, right? That's right. right. Noel well, has a moat. You okay. Know, there are moats just, to, yeah, there are moats surrounding them. So we're talking about a lot of engineering was involved. People don't think about these things, but if, if you're trying to attribute it to some primitive uh tribe back then that built these to be tombs, they did an awful lot of engineering, and they moved an awful lot of earth and stones around. But why it's such uh, a big tomb? I mean, this, this, these things are yes, that's, huge. Yeah, and that's, very, that's a very good question. 
why so massively overbuilt like the Great Pyramid is, you know, uh, to be a tomb. It's, uh, and I think that part of the answer to our questions comes, we can kind of infer from the way they're protected uh, by the royal family and the government. Uh, there's just some real mysteries there that so far nobody's been able to penetrate. Uh, and I'm trying to, uh, but I just did the first day. This trip was kind of the first foray, you know, to get, get my feet on the ground there and try to use some. But even 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 my resources there, the people that I know were pretty guarded about it. In fact, he said, because I had written and given him my book, uh, when I got over there, he had said before I came, well, we'll talk about it when you get here. But he never talked about it. We never had that conversation. So that kind of gives you an idea of uh, it would be sort of like talking to, you know, a professor of history in the U.S. about UFOs and just kind of skirt around the subject. Well, it's almost like talking to Sahih Hawaz, Dr. Sahih Hawaz in Egypt and about certain things. And he he goes ballistic. But in this case, Japan, if you were to talk to, I don't know what the equivalent of the Ministry of, of History or Architecture or what have you, or culture, if you were to ask them, what would they say about these things? They would say that they were built by, uh, the history is there, were, there was a group or a tribe, an early Japanese tribe, and but these came right on top when they, when, when they had kind of gone through their whole Stone Age. Suddenly these start appearing about 300 AD is what they claim. And from for about 400 years, um, the new Japanese, the, the leaders, and so on, were were having these built, supposedly. Now I don't I don't see how they can date them, but uh, that's the dates they give us. Um, they never address how, never address the technology issue, never address the knowledge issues, um, which I find in almost all ancient mysterious sites. That's the case. I'm they never looking really here. address how it was I'm, done. I'm looking here at some of these images from the air, and some of these kofuns or keyholes, they're surrounded by almost 20 blocks of buildings. That's, that's right. how massive yeah. this thing is. Yeah, and they are huge. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Now, and I know you're, you're, you're surprised that you didn't know about these before. I mean, Very these surprised. Are not, I mean, these are not insignificant things, you know, hidden away in the landscape. In Japan, they are huge. And they occupy many, many, many square blocks and dwarf everything else around them. And nobody's talking about them over there or, you know, in the rest of the world. And they've just done a very good job of shutting the door on it. And some of these that I'm looking at, there are two that are massive. There are two that are smaller ones, but they're almost perpendicular. The sizes are exactly the same. And if they were made a couple of hundreds, you know, A.D., how in the world were they able to, well, again, we can start wondering how the pyramids were created, too, and we'll discuss that later. But this brings me to the Chinese. This is totally something that I didn't expect to discuss with you, by the way. This is a surprise to me. But the Chinese pyramids, have you heard? I'm sure you have heard of the Chinese pyramids, too, right? Sure, yeah. These Chinese ones, many of them are, as you know, completely covered in vegetation. I believe that the government 
pays the farmers to farm on top of them to keep the secret because apparently they have dug and they have found some mummies, preserved mummies of red-headed people. And I guess they don't want any other but the sinoculture to be the one that was in that area. Your take on that? Basically, yeah, that's that's what we find everywhere now. Um, there's nationalism going on. Mostly this, this ancient history, the, the controversies get back to, you know, whether the indigenous people that we know of now, let's take the Inca, for instance, uh, built the early sites like Sacsayhuaman or, you know, Puma Punca or whatever, um, or who did if they didn't. And they can never claim they did, right? And the Egyptians, actually, there's nowhere in any papyrus document that where the Egyptians describe building the pyramids. They never claimed that either. It was attributed later. So we kind of run into the same thing where our modern historians are using politics to concoct this this story, basically. Um and then, then they will use it against people like us who question things and say, "Well, what are you saying? Are you are you some kind of a racist? You don't yeah. believe these?" <laughs> yeah. Well, that's their latest thing, you know. You're, you're claiming these people couldn't build those things. I, yeah, I am claiming no people built them. <laughs> Not any race uh, built these things because they're too. They were too advanced for the time. Uh, we couldn't, you know. Most of the things, the really large things in Egypt and up to 700 tons. We don't have a mobile crane that could lift that right now, let alone. And to say that people did it, it's so absurd, it's preposterous. But when archaeologists stand behind it because it's a political stance and they just, you know, point the finger and ridicule people like us who question. And it seems to work, although I think it's coming apart at the seams or it's starting to. But there's the other side, too, Will. Many people say, well... If it was not us, because even today, with today's technology, we can't even replicate one of these structures. So right. a lot of people say, then it must have been extraterrestrials that came in, and they, they had to have done it. But my yeah. theory, I, I, I'm not sure if you're going to agree with me, but I believe that, like the Dogon, they get really upset if you tell them that it was extraterrestrials, because they say, why do you continue taking credit away from the ancestors. What if we had a race of humans who lived there, who maybe have spoken the same language? They have probably were in contact with one another around the world, and that's why we see all these all of a sudden structures like the pyramids showing up more or less at the same time. Why couldn't it be that it was us back then and perhaps something happened, a cataclysm, a flood, something that made those people migrate somewhere else, and perhaps a lot of people perished, and the knowledge to build them faded away, almost as if it something were to happen today, and a hundred years on the road, you and I were walking around, we're the survivors, and we dig from the ground some iPhones or some computers, and we have no idea what they are. And we say, well, extraterrestrials must have made them. Yeah, um, we're talking about theories, you know. I mean, the uh, ancient alien uh, ideas are, are a theory. We can't, you know, we don't have definitive smoking gun proof, and nobody does. You know, Graham Hancock promotes uh, the lost civilization theory, which is kind of what you were saying. Um, yeah, it, it's, I guess all we can do is, you know, through the, the various uh, pieces, try to put the puzzle together and see what fits best. Um, 
just from. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.